I want to welcome you again to First Methodist Mansfield, to our cornerstone service. If we have not met, my name is David, and I uh, appreciate the chance uh, to share with you today. The first thing I want to do, I want to invite Pastor Tina to come back up here real quick. Uh, as she comes up here, I want you to know that Pastor Tina finished her second master's degree yesterday. She is now uh, a graduate. Uh, she, uh, she received her master's of divinity degree, and uh, so I wanted to present her with a gift uh, on behalf of this entire congregation. Here's a fork. <laughs> and so whenever, I hope you will place this in a prominent place. And whenever you see it, you'll remember, I'm done. I'm done. There Excellent. You go. Thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Give you. her a hand, everybody. Uh, on that note, you just heard about annual conference, uh, which is a gathering of churches throughout the Central Texas area. We have the honor to host that again uh, this June. One of the really neat things about that for us this year is uh, that the highlight of that uh, three-day event is really the service of commissioning and ordination. Uh, so individuals like Tina, who have finished uh, their seminary education, will be commissioned. So on that night, uh, she will come right here to our altar, uh, and the bishop uh, will commission her. Uh, in two years, uh, uh, she will be ordained uh, as a full elder in the church, but uh, others uh, this year will come and, and will be ordained here at our, our altar. And one of the things I want you to think about, church, is you are one of the few churches in Methodism that has the real honor and privilege of knowing uh, that people's uh, uh, ordination, their beginning in ministry happens in your, uh, in your worship space. What a, what a beautiful thing, a great honor for us to, uh, to have, and even more so that we get to do that, uh, that Tina gets to have that event here uh, in our church family. You may have noticed when you came in today, things look a little bit different. We have some flowers up here, uh, but also we have new flooring in this space. How many of you have ever uh, remodeled your home, gone through a remodeling process, which when you started it, you thought, oh, that's going to be so much fun. And then then you like get into it and there's dust everywhere. Uh, we have been doing lots of work around here, new floor uh, outside, which you saw last week in this uh, in here. And during the week, this has been a disaster. Like you walk in, it's like, oh my gracious, we're going to have church this weekend. So if you see any of our facility staff, uh, as you walk around campus, will you please say thank you? Because they have worked tirelessly to make sure that weekend uh, worship can happen in this space, to clean it up and make it ready for us. And, uh, and also say, say thank you to trustees, those who have worked to, uh, to, to prepare this process. The other thing I want you to know about this upgrade, uh, there's something you can see and there's something that you can't see. Uh, we have been able to install in this place a hearing loop system. System, uh, which is for those who, who have hearing aid devices for you to be able to wirelessly connect uh, and provide a better worship experience uh, for those uh, who, who use, those, uh, use that assistance. If you wonder, oh my gosh, is that me? Uh, you might stop by the connecting point today. Elizabeth Johnson, uh, who is an audiologist in our church, will be more than happy to answer any questions about this technology. You can also go tomorrow to firstmethodistmansfield.org forward slash hearing loop and find out more more about uh, this technology that we have. Now, before the rumor gets out, I just want you to know, one of the volunteers said that I should joke that it's really not a hearing system, that it's actually a system that will like tase you if you fall asleep, but it's not, it is a hearing aid system. So 
So Bill, do not spread that rumor that that's, that's what it is. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, I would encourage you to grab one of the blue Bibles that is here in our worship space, and you will find Ephesians 4 on page 1818 in that blue Bible. If you brought your own Bible, you're on your own. I don't know what page number that is, but uh, you will find it near the end of the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus that we're going to look at uh, real quickly. One of the reasons that I encourage you to bring your Bible uh, each and every week is so that you can make notes, so you can underline things, and some of you, so as you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, you may be reminded that we actually looked at this chapter of the Bible over the course of a three or four week series we did last August called Be a Builder. Uh, And I'm going to do my best to not preach a four-week series in one week today as we look at uh, this chapter. We've been in this series, The Seeds of a Better Life. And we started with the idea that we are all in some way pursuing a better life, that no one tosses and turns in their bed at night, unable to sleep because they're worrying about how to make their life worse. That's not our concern. We're concerned about a better life, of pursuing that life, of, of somehow attaining a life that is more than the life that we are living today. And all of us could testify uh, to ways of life that we have pursued, thinking that it might lead to a better life, and, and yet coming to the end of that and, and, and coming up empty feeling like that, promises, that promise that we were given wasn't, wasn't fulfilled. We all want this, but the question is, what does it look like? And this is the idea we started with, uh, that the better life is a planted life. This is the, the notion we find throughout the scriptures. And when we think about the planted life, it's really a metaphor for thinking about living life intentionally. Living life uh, with a sense of faithfulness, a faithfulness not just to uh, something in the short term, but a faithfulness that, that looks towards the long term of our lives. Uh, a way of life that really wrestles with the question of significance, recognizing that that is so much more important than increased status or security, which we often seek. And when we think about a significant life, we think about a life that is lived selflessly. So what are the seeds? That's the question of the series. What are the seeds that we plant in our life, that we nurture in our life, that over the course of time lead to a better life? And we've talked about a few already. We talked about first, we talked about beliefs. The idea that the, the core convictions of our life, that the truths that we hold uh, as the guiding principles of our life, that this, this is one of the seeds that we plant in our life. And we've talked about beliefs in a couple different ways. We, we started with this very simple way of thinking that God is God, that I am not, and that I need God. That, that that's a way of thinking about the beliefs that would guide your life, that God is God, that I am not, and I need God. But also that because you're a human being and I'm a human being, we often drift from these core convictions to something very different. We might drift from this to the idea that God is distant and I am alone and I just got to try to figure this out. And some of you may be even, uh, even be able to think about a day in your life where you started the day here and you ended up here. You started the day feeling confident and you started the day feeling uh, a sense of connection. Uh, and, and yet by the end of the day, you just felt so isolated. You felt so frustrated. You felt so alone. And, 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 and the anxiety had led you to this idea, oh, I just got to figure this out. I'm all alone. I got to figure, I got to figure this out. So on top of the, the beliefs, we talked about practices. 
And that what practices do in our life is they reaffirm those things we believe to be true. It's just one example. When you set the cell phone down, when you take a nap, when you embrace Sabbath, when you work to not fill the calendar all the way, uh, but rather uh, live with margins in your life, one of the things that you are living into is the idea that God is God and I am not and I need God. I am not the center of the universe and the world does not depend on me. That I can rest because there is a God and I am not that God. <laughs> uh, I am just a finite human being uh, and I can rest in the knowledge that God is with me. That's a practice that actually reaffirms one of our core beliefs in our life. And you want to hear more about that and you missed last week, go back and listen to last week's message as we looked at several practices. So in Ephesians 4, we have Paul speaking to people who are just like you and me. These are people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, this, these are some of the first people who struggled with this question, and Paul is talking to them about how they follow Jesus together. He's talking about the body of Christ, the way of thinking about the church, the people who are sharing life together in this new way of living as disciples of Jesus. And you may notice he begins the chapter by saying, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And the way you do that, he says, is you live humbly, you live gently, you live patiently, you bear with one another in love, you, you seek to maintain unity. He goes on to talk about the different gifts that individuals in the church have and the, the reason we must share those gifts with one another is so that we may grow and achieve the goal of two, two different goals, the goal of unity and the goal of maturity. As we live our lives together and share life together, we would become the mature individuals, but also the mature body of believers. And so when you think about that language, think, think, about, think about being planted. Think about growing. Think about the way in which seeds over the time, when they are nurtured and cared for, they mature, they develop, they grow, they become something they weren't before because of the way in which they have been nurtured over the course of time. Uh, and then Paul talks about uh, the way in which our lives are different than those who have not said yes to Jesus, who have not made a claim of uh, following Jesus in their life. And that part of what we must do is remember that our lives are intended to be different because something has appeared in our life that has not made an appearance in others' lives. And so our task is to live according to the, to the new self. So on top of all that, we get to verse 25. I want to read to you from 25 to 32. Paul begins by saying, therefore, and here's a little Bible reading tip. When you're reading Paul and you find the word therefore, this is when you should wake up and pay attention, okay? This is the stuff that Paul really wants you to hear. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, if you have your Bible, you should definitely underline this. Memorize it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. You might write that on the wall. (laughs) You might paint it really big in your house. No unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful, what is profitable for building one another's up. Uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption and get rid of all bitterness, all anger, all rage, all brawling slander along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So we start with beliefs. These are the convictions that guide our life. We talked about drifting and the idea we need practices to to reaffirm the belief. But here we have Paul speaking about the third seed that we want to talk about. And very simply, I would describe this as the seed of community. And when you think about community, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't provide here instructions for having a potluck dinner, okay? Now that's great. I love potluck, bring the macaroni and cheese, I'm in, I think that's awesome. But the the words that Paul shares here about community are are not how to have a nice small talk conversation over coffee before church, but rather they're the deeper needs that we have, the the instructions that we need if we're really going to live into community in our life. We talk about that shared lives lead to changed lives. That beliefs are good and practices are good, but change actually happens in the context of relationships, in the community in which we are sharing our life with one another, where we are known and we are known by others. But here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture two two two-year-olds, just cute as can be. I mean, can you can you picture that? Just just one of those kids that that you just, oh my gracious, they're so cute. And imagine putting one toy in the middle between them. And, and how quickly they would transform from cute and wonderful and beautiful expressions of humanity to something much less than that, right? I mean, one of the first things that we struggled with in our lives was this whole idea of sharing. It's hard. It's difficult. When we are forced to share, it's that moment that, that we really begin to struggle and fight. And Because community involves sharing, because community often involves uh, coming head to head with one another, community is also the place where we find ourselves tempted to say, I didn't sign up for this. This is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. And withdrawing from one another. And when we do, when we do, we completely undermine any progress we make in this journey towards a better life. It's like running into a brick wall. When we say, I like seed one and I'm okay with seed two, but I really don't want to share my life with others because I don't want to face the struggle and the difficulty that it is to share my life with another human being. We undermine our own growth when we say no to community. Let me give you one example of that. I got to go a few weeks ago to a banquet I try to attend uh, each and every year, uh, sponsored by the Mansfield Education Foundation, the top 50 banquet uh, for Mansfield High School, uh, Mansfield High School's students. 
the students in the high schools in Mansfield. That's the better way to say it, the students in the high schools in Mansfield. So this is the top 50. This is not the top 10% of all of our high schools. I think we have 17, 17, you know, however many kids we have. This is the top 50. These are the super, super smart kids uh, that we are producing in our district. These are the people who, when you, if you were to walk into the room, you're thinking, I just hope I'm as smart as these kids because they're just, they're geniuses that, that we get to honor and celebrate uh, that the Education Foundation uh, seeks to honor for the work that they've done in high school and as they move into the next chapter of their life. And what they let each and every student do is pick a teacher that they want to honor and celebrate because of the influence that they have had on their life. And so each and every student is brought forward and we get to hear about where they're going to school and how smart they are. And, and, and then we get to hear about that teacher. And in the words of the student, we get to hear why they have selected this teacher to honor and celebrate uh, for the difference that they made in their life. And this year in particular, I noticed a theme. I noticed a thread that ran through many of the reflections that the students shared as they talked about uh, teachers that they'd had their senior year or earlier in high school or in elementary school or, or middle school. Uh, the, the theme went something like this. There were those who said, when I found out that I was going to be in Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so's class, I thought, oh no. Uh, that th that this teacher was the one that they'd heard. Oh, sh uh, she is really hard. He is really really difficult. Uh, they they said things like, well, you know, in that first six weeks, I just thought, oh, save me, Lord, save me. For you know, this is just this is so hard. The, they talked about their subjects and how they were so particular in the way that they wanted us to do our work. They they pushed us. They made us struggle. They 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 weren't okay with just satisfactory work. They were the ones who who really just annoyed us with their attention to detail. Uh, no one celebrated the teacher that let them slide by. No one celebrated the teacher who every day when they came into class, they said, eh, movie day. No one celebrated those teachers, which by the way, many of the teachers were members of our church family. Uh, those who, who were honored this year and those who are honored uh, each and every year because of the great work that they do. They honored those who said to them, this is good, but you can do better. This is, this is pretty good work, but you're capable of more. The ones who made life hard on them, and in doing so, helped them to discover a potential in themselves they didn't know was there. The best of the best, that's who they pointed to and said, this is the person I want to say thank you to. This is the person who really made a difference in my life. Now, some of you are teachers, and so you know there's a flip side of the story, right? You know that there is a way of challenging students uh, that leads some to respond and leads some to say, you know what, I just want to slide by. I just want to turn in satisfactory work. Uh, B plus is just great uh, with me. I remember uh, uh, taking a class with one of my friends who was about to graduate in college. It was his last semester, 
And he, uh, and when, when we got there the first day, he said, man, I'm here. Uh, D for diploma, man. D for diploma. That's all I need. I just need a D for diploma. Uh, the, the, there are those who live on the path of le- least resistance. And some of you are thinking, if that had been the banquet, I would have been invited to that one, right? The path of least resistance. And here's what we also know. We know that marriages often die on the path of least resistance. That friendships often die on the path of least resistance. That communities really begin to shrivel and they become something much less than they could be on the path of least resistance. Uh, for anyone who uh, offers counseling and support for, uh, for couples who are going through difficulties, one of the th- things that you will hear them say over and over again that may surprise you is at the very end how unwilling people are to fight for their marriage because they've chosen the path of least resistance. And growth and the better life, uh, the pursuit of that, it, it often dies. It often dies right here where we just say, no, I just want, I just want this much. I just want to kind of slide by. I want to I follow this path rather than saying, no, I really want to struggle because I recognize that struggle, struggle will help me to be a better person and will help me to be a better disciple of Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to share with you today three thoughts on community. And what I want to encourage you to do is this. I want you to first, I want you to think about who you are sharing your life with. And maybe you would imagine it this way. It's 3 a.m. and you have an emergency. Who are the first three people you call? And then who are the next three people you call? Who are those that you reach out to because you are sharing life with them and they are sharing their life with you? And as we look at these three ideas, I would encourage you to think and perhaps even talk with those people about how well you are living in community with one another, how well you are sharing your life with one another. So here's the first idea, that real community involves a commitment to honesty. Paul says, put off falsehood. Uh, Translation, stop pretending. And and here's one of the things that is a threat to each and every one of us, that we live in a world that gives us lots of options to pretend with one another. You you can experience a bite-sized piece of connection through social media, but it's not the real thing. For many of us, it's just a way to to continue to share the mask that we want the world to see. And it sort of satisfies just the beginning of an appetite, but it doesn't really provide for us the depth of community that really does lead to life change. Uh, I I am one who loves technology. Uh, Anyone who knows me will will say that. And yet I will be the first to say that one of my concerns is that for young people today, uh, we are teaching them a way of community that really is false community. It's a shadow of what community is really meant to be. Because real community is a place where we are honest, where we are vulnerable, where we, we take the mask off. And we talk about what's really going on in our life. The second idea is that in real community, conflict is embraced as an opportunity to grow. 
Now, if you're one of those people who's a little bit excited right now because you're, you know, you run towards the conflict, calm down, okay? Because the person next to you is a little nervous right now because they're thinking, please don't encourage him or her. What do we mean by the idea that conflict is embraced as an opportunity to grow? It's a way of seeing conflict not as what happens when things go wrong, but what happens when people share life together. So it's your first year of marriage. We're fighting. Oh my gosh, I picked the wrong person. No, you married a human being. It's what they do. Uh, Gary Thomas, uh, in his book, Sacred Marriage, talks about that marriage is really a full-length mirror. It's a full-length mirror that God gives to you with the note attached that says, here's to seeing what you're really like. Some of you will get that on the way home. That's what your spouse <laughs> does for you. And, and hear this very carefully. Most of us don't like what we see. And when we find ourselves not liking what we see, what we all tend to do is to blame the other person for pointing it out to us. Rather than recognizing, you know what, this is, this is a place for me to grow. This is a place for me to grow. Conflict uh, should be seen as an opportunity to grow. And one of the ways that we make that possible is when we live according to that verse that you just heard read, in your anger do not sin. That, that conflict, you, you buffer it, you surround it with grace grace and compassion for one another that allows one another to live through that conflict and to find yourself one day on the other side of it. It's a place where you can grow rather than something that should be avoided, uh, as something that you, you don't want to deal with. The last idea is this, that real community thrives when the best words are shared. Real community thrives when the best words are shared. And here's how I'd, I'd like you to think about this. I'd like you to remember, uh, maybe this was in your own life, or maybe you can remember this uh, in the life of your son or daughter or another young person. Uh, when, when you saw uh, a, a child do to another something for which they needed to apologize. And again, maybe that was you. Maybe, may, maybe mom or dad or your teacher caught you. And, and, and in that experience, you know what happens. The adult in the conversation says, you need to say you're sorry. And often, what's the first response of that, that young boy or girl? They, they, they do something like this. They say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and and what, do you, what do you say in response? You say, no, no, I want you to say you're sorry, and I want you to mean it. And so, they get another shot at it, and they say, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want you to look them in the eye. I want you to look your sister in the eye. I want you to look your brother in the eye. I want you to look your mom in the eye. I want you to look your dad in the eye. And I want you to say you're sorry, and I want you to mean it. And in real community, we say, I'm sorry, and we mean it. We say, I love you, and we mean it. We say, I forgive you, and we mean it. We come to a day like today, and we don't just say, thanks, mom. 
you're awesome, gold star. We say the words that are harder for some of us to say. We say, I want you to know that I appreciate you. I know that you have sacrificed for me. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I appreciate you. In real community, we don't just settle for any words. We seek to share the best words, the words that others need to hear, but also the words that we need to speak. And one of the things that I just want to push you on as as we close here is that often the reason that we don't share the best words with another is because we feel like they haven't shared the best words with us. And so we sort of hold them hostage. And we say, well, I'm not going to give them to you if you won't give them to me. And so we don't say what we really should say. No one says, I'm sorry. No one says, I forgive you. No one says, I was wrong. No one says, I want to commit to do better. And marriages die, and friendships die, and communities die because we're not willing to say the best words. But as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says, you must live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. Not letting any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is profitable for those who listen. You are those who are called to share the best words. Beliefs are important, and practices are a really big deal. But it's community. It's sharing life with one another. It's those spaces, those relationships where we are known and we know others where real transformation often occurs. And if you found yourself over and over again coming just a little bit short of where you want to be, think about this area of your life. Think about community. Think about the people that you were sharing life with and what you might do to live more fully into these relationships in which God invites you to find and experience real growth. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for placing us in relationship with one another. And as we give you thanks, Lord, we also confess that that is often very hard for us that we are tempted at times to choose the path of least resistance, to walk away from, to isolate ourselves from those things that we see as difficult. Help us, Lord, to avoid that temptation. Help us, Lord, instead to, to press into that a little bit. And help us, Lord, especially on a day like today, help us, Lord, to share the best words that you have called us to say to those that we love so much. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.